Welcome to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network, a show that streams health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. You can download all Kidney Talk shows from iTunes and find a variety of resources to help you navigate this illness at rsnhope.org. Please welcome your host, Lori Hartwell, who has lived with kidney disease since the age of two. Well, welcome to Kidney Talk. Today, we're going to be speaking about an important topic. Um, I'm sure everybody listening who has kidney disease has had has needed to go to an emergency room, and it's also very scary. And uh, at times, I've often wondered, should I go? Shouldn't I go? So today, we're speaking to Dr. Elaine Captine. She's a nephrologist at USC, and she's been practicing since 1982. And I had the opportunity to meet her in the mid-90s when I was selling medical products for people on dialysis. And um, she's always been a great friend, and I always love to catch up with her. So welcome to the show, Dr. Captine. Well, thank you, Lori. So tell us a little bit about, you know, what is considered emergency? Because we've often heard of people going to the emergency room, and it may not be needed. They might have been another solution. So if you're, if I'm a, one of your patients and I said, you know, what, what is an emergency? Okay, and, well, if you tell me you have shortness of breath when you walk or at rest, if you tell me you can't lie down flat at night or that you come, wake up gasping, no question, you go, because you know that this is not going to be solved by anything except dialysis. And right. then you have things that are pretty specific, like seizure. You have a seizure or you have, you can't, you're confused, you can't tell where things are, like one gentleman couldn't find out where to put the key in his car. <laughs> he, I call, one wife called and said, he's a little confused. He doesn't know where to put the key. I said, to the ER, please. Mm-hmm. You know, and he was definitely septic. People who lose consciousness, anyone who has chest pain or palpitations definitely has to go, and anybody who has fevers or chills. Those are absolute. Feeling unwell, well, whatever that means, it's not a good sign, but, you know, then you have to kind of decide, is it just you had something that didn't agree with you for supper or, you know, that's less specific. But people just sometimes call and say, I don't feel well. Well, if it's you can't walk, you can't talk, you can't do your daily activities, that's bad, so you go. Right. What about blood pressure? Like, what is the, what is the trigger for blood pressure? Well, you know, a lot of people don't take their blood pressure at home, so that's a problem. Yeah, that is so, a problem. But if they do, and if the blood pressure is like over 200 systolic, you must go. Or if it's under 100, you have to go. But, you know, most people don't take it, and it depends on how they feel at that time. So if they have a bad headache with high blood pressure, it doesn't matter if it's 160, they got to go. Right. If they feel dizzy like they're going to faint, even if it's 130, they got to go. So, you know, blood pressure is more difficult to deal with, and we primarily tell people about systolic blood pressure, not diastolic. Right, because um, the higher number, because, you know, what level have you seen somebody have a stroke at? I mean, you know. you can stroke at any level. At any blood pressure level? Yeah, because, you know, the strokes are caused by multiple things, not just high blood pressure. Oh, okay. Right, so, I mean, you can, a lot of people have vascular disease, so they can have a vascular stroke or it's occlusion, or they can have a bleed, even with lower blood pressure. So blood pressure doesn't necessarily mean that it's the cause of the stroke. Well, you know, one of the things that I had to go to the emergency room for, and I didn't really understand it, was that I was bleeding. um, I had a bleeding ulcer. Yep. And 
I didn't know, you know, you know, I was using the bathroom. This is somewhat graphic, but I think people need. And I'm like, oh, it's not that much blood because when blood hits water, it's more, um, you know, it looks like it's more than it is. Right. <laughs> well, that wasn't the case. It was straight blood. No, and the thing is, any blood, unless you have a hemorrhoid, that's more than, you know, a few drops you go because, you know, there's probably more to follow. Right, exactly. I and, was like, oh, that's uh, not very much. Painless. It frequently is painless. And the same with the nosebleed, which I didn't mention. And those are kind of relative, like if the nosebleed's two drops, but if it's a half a cup, you go. And right. from the access, if your access looks like it's about to burst, you go. doesn't matter if it's bled or not because you can bleed out in like 10, 15 minutes or less. Right. So access issues are another issue altogether. Well, one of the things, too, is that when do you determine if you should go to the ER or you should call 911? Well, I always tell people, depends on who's taking you and how you feel. If you can walk and talk and dress yourself and you have a reliable family member and you say, look, it's going to take me 10 minutes to get to the ER, but if I have to call an ambulance and wait around, it might be half an hour, it's better to just get in the car and go. But if you feel bad, like chest pain, you know, nobody can resuscitate you in the car. Right. You're going to die if you have a heart attack, right? Right. If you've had a seizure or loss of consciousness and you can't walk, it's better to call 911 because, you know, between your home and that or you're bleeding from your access, that time is critical. And those paramedics can definitely help you, whereas if you're in the car, you cannot have that assistance. So I think if in doubt, call 911 just because you're taking a chance. So, like, we don't send people from dialysis unit to the ER by transportation very often just because it's a high risk. At the end of the treatment, if a, if a person isn't feeling well, you, you want to call the ambulance because that transport time could make the difference, right? Well, the other problem is that a lot of people have heart attacks without chest pain. They do? Wow. Yes, they do, especially the diabetic patients, but also the others. They think they're having indigestion or they just don't feel well and they've had a heart attack and it can be a massive heart attack. So you don't know and you don't know how long you've got. And the other thing is the arrhythmias, you know, they could have some palpitations or not be aware. So, you know, they can die. So it's not worth the chance. Well, and I've learned, too, that, you know, chest pain for women may actually feel like back pain. Well, for anybody, but but women, normal women are particularly prone to atypical chest pain with heart attacks. And dialysis patients are even more prone to that. I know. It's scary when you start to to learn all the things that can go wrong with you. Yeah, very scary. <laughs> but, you know, life is a risk. It is. And we don't get out of life alive, do we? Sorry? <laughs> we don't get out of life alive. <laughs> no, and it, being on dialysis or transplant, you are at much higher risk than the general population. Well, which also, I've been to ER on several occasions, and I'm one of the prepared patients that in my wallet, I have my medication list, and I have my doctor's list, and I have everything available to help them be as as most efficient as they can. Um, What would you suggest that patients bring to the ER? Well, I think absolutely, just put through all your medications in a bag if you don't have a list. Right. And take your, your best friend, your family member, whoever with you, because if you pass out, they can't help you very much. Right. And then, of course, I always tell people, if you think that you're going to, if you have a, a planned visit, you take your medical records from the dialysis unit. No one can access those in the middle of the night or on a Sunday. And that's what an emergency is. You have very little time. 
So you take your records with you, and even if you're not going to go for an appointment, every once in a while you should have a copy of your history and physical and your recent labs. And that just takes a second for the them to give you, and now everybody gets a report card, right? Right. I don't know if you're aware, you haven't been on dialysis a long time. but For five years, five years, yay. You get a little report card, says your potassium this, your K2 for that, and so on. And, you know, at least you have some labs, your hemoglobin, such and such. Take that. That's not a throwaway. That's for you and your family, but also in case you have an emergency. Well, what about the dialysis prescription? Uh, well, that's much less important because most people know how much volume they're taking off, how much weight did you when you went in to when you left. And what's the rest of the dialysis prescription? It's kind of boring, you know. Right. It doesn't matter. Most people know if they're three or four hours. Whether you have a big dialyzer, a medium-sized dialyzer, or your flow rate, all the flow rates in our unit are over 400. So it's really boring stuff. You know, there really aren't any secrets that we do special for one person or another. Well, one of the things I always take with me is I always take my transplant medications. Oh, well, that's, a, that's another story altogether. Isn't if you transplant, you've got to have your history and know, you know, where did you get your transplant? You should tell people what your match is, things like that, and what your meds are, of course. And what your surgeries. But I always take my transplant medications because I take them at a certain time. Well, not only that, frequently that ER may not have your medications to give you at the time that you need them. I know. That's my whole point. I'm like, I need my meds now. Well, we have to order them through pharmacy. I'm like, okay, forget it. I'm just going to take all your meds, throw them in a bag, take them with you. Yes. No, that is so important because... Um, even with like phosphate binders, um, you're there. I mean, I've been in an emergency for 24 hours before. Of course. And, and they're not going to go and cater to you. And the other thing is, I tell you this because it's so important. You not only take your friend, if you're a diabetic particularly, you take your insulin and you take your food. Right. Because your blood sugar is going to drop out of the basement, you know, going to be low, so low you might have a loss of consciousness due to low blood sugar if you don't eat. So you have to take food too, you know, take a friend and a snack and all your meds. Well, it is because, you know, when you're in the emergency room, there's all different levels of emergencies, and they may say, you're fine right now, but uh, sometimes you're kind of put on the back burner because you may look okay, and then all of a sudden... People have died in an emergency room of heart attacks. Right. So, yeah, you take everything with you that you can, and prepare for the worst and hope for the best. How's that? Well, this is true. Now, one of the things, when a patient goes to the emergency room, um, does the doctor on call there automatically call their nephrologist? No, they may not. I mean, the bottom line is those doctors are very busy. I mean, there's a nurse who triages usually, and then maybe once they're getting into the problem, they might call the doctor, and the doctor may not be available. So I think it's, if the patient can, they should always have the doctor's number, and I give my people my cell phone 24-7 to even call before you go to emergency because you need to do the sorting. We didn't talk about fevers and stuff. But you need to do some sorting to say, you know, how are you feeling and what's happening and what should I do? And that doctor should then hopefully or somebody in their group know something about you and be aware that you're on the way to the hospital. Right. Well, and I also tell them, make sure that when that ER doctor sees you, have them call me. Because some of my patients I've known for 27 years. I know. And a lot of them for 10 or 15 years. I mean, I know more about them than you could even get from the record unless you wanted to sit down and look through a broom full of records. I know. It's that individual attention, and I have that relationship with my nephrologist. And it's, and I remember one time I called him. I was having some shortness of breath because of, a, a, they think it might be an antibiotic reaction or something. I'm not sure. but And I'd had some problems, and I'm, like, calling him, like, 
do you think I should go to the emergency room? Because I had all these appointments um, lined up. And he's like, Lori, the fact that you're calling me and asking me if you should go to the emergency room, which because I never go. He's like, you need to go to the emergency room. Like, he just knows that about me. Like, And and I needed that confidence because um, I just didn't want to go. And, you know, I have a doctor's appointment in a couple of days. And, and I ended up being in the hospital for a week after that. Um, so... Um, I'm so grateful that he knows me better than, um, you know, as a doctor knows everything about me and my personality. I'm not somebody who complains unless it's something really serious. Um, One of the things I want to talk about was, was temperature. I mean, because it's, especially when you're immunosuppressed, I tell patients, my peers, this all the time, you can have a serious infection and you may not show that you have a temperature or a very low grade temperature. And you may not have chills either. Right. So the bottom line is you always have to suspect an infection, and the bottom line is you don't know if it's there or not, and you can't decide. So I tell people if you have a fever or you feel chilled, you go, because you obviously have something bad. But if you don't have any of those things, you still could have an infection. Right. And you can't tell, so therefore you don't take that chance. It's dangerous. And, and you can also just let your dialysis staff know that you feel this way, so they might be able to do a blood 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 draw and figure out if you have something wrong, but you need to be on top of it. Of and course, and the prevention. problem with catheters is that with us, we're DaVita, so all of our lab cultures go to Florida, and unless you specify. And if the patients have insurance, we have them go stacked to USC, but if they don't have insurance, then they have to go to the ER because... If you suspect it, you don't just wait for two or three days to figure it out. Well, one of the things I want to talk about is, and and this happened to me, is I had a dialysis catheter. And the cap, on I've had PD catheters and I've had um, regular catheters. Something happens to the extension where it breaks or something like that. And I wasn't able to go, you know, it probably is on a weekend or something where I couldn't get to um, my dialysis team. But I went to the emergency room. And the doctor came in and he wanted, he didn't even want to put gloves on or wear a mask. And I had to like kick him out of the room and say, you're not touching me. And so I guess I want you to reinforce that a lot of emergency doctors don't know all the protocols for dialysis and you have to be your own advocate. I mean, not a foggy clue and nor do the nurses. I mean, they deal with other things, you know, this is a very special area for you know, half a million people in all the United States, and you know how many people there are in the United States. So it's a very small fraction of the total. They have no bloody clue. And the bottom line is every patient should know the basics, like you say, wear a mask, sterile technique. Don't touch me unless you, you know, you have your mask on and your gown on and your gloves on, even if my cap's off because it's already been off for a while. And that is less dangerous than that guy who just touched somebody who has perhaps an infection patient has an infection that's resistant organism. So, you know, the patient has to know stuff. And I always tell people, you are your own little mini MD. You are a specialist in you. You know more about you than anybody else, right? Right. Or a family member, in some cases, knows more about you than any doctor probably ever will. So you have to know what can be done and cannot be done to you. Well, and that's what, it was so crazy because I was, you know, it was a little 
uncomfortable because I was like, well, you need to do this and you need to do that. And actually, he was very nice. I walked him through the procedure. I said, okay, put the sterile cloth down, put the mask on, put your gloves on, let's scrub it for five minutes, then we'll change the cap. And he was actually pretty good about me telling him what I wanted to do. Well, the other possibility in the hospitals, just about all hospitals, not all, is most hospitals have dialysis nurses. And when you have an issue like that, you can say, call a dialysis nurse, please, to help, because they know the technique. That's actually a really good And the other um, thing is, if you have any bleeding or scab on the access, make sure the first thing you hit the ER, you say, I need to see a vascular surgeon. Right, because people may not think about that. They say, oh, it's just a little scab. You know, it's a big deal. Well, it's a big deal. Well, and then, too, they might want to throw the blood pressure cuff on your access arm. And, you know, if you get any argument, you always have to ask, please, I want to see a nephrologist or talk to your own private nephrologist or someone in their group if you can get a hold of them. And the other thing I want to mention is a translator. You know, we have a large number of people in this community in Los Angeles who don't speak English. People come in speaking every language known to man, and mm-hmm. a lot of people don't speak like Mandarin. You kill yourself to find somebody who speaks Mandarin or Korean or whatever, or any other language. Spanish is pretty common, but a lot of people don't speak anything but English and a tad of Spanish, so always bring your friend or relative or a translator. It changes everything. You know, you go there and you and your friends are talking in another language to people who don't understand dialysis anyways or transplant. You are going to lose. Right. No, and, you know, and you know you have to speak to them. So, you know, why not be preemptive and say, I need to have someone in the middle of the night that I can call to go with me. Right. Well, one of the things, too, and just this is when you're, you go to emergency and you're in pain and your blood pressure is low or somewhat low, they can't give you pain medication. Well, they can give you different things depending on the cause of the pain. You know, most people don't need narcotics unless you're having an acute appendicitis or something, or you broke your leg, you know. Mm-hmm. So most people can be treated with, and you don't want to also knock people out. So right. I think narcotics are not good for most dialysis patients. It's really a bad idea in most transplant people. I think they could be given some Tylenol, you know, some, you know, depending on what the circumstances are, and be tidied over until they figure out what's happening. The worst thing you can do is have a patient who's acute got acute appendicitis with minimal symptoms, you give them narcotics and their belly's fine. Wow. They're going to rupture their appendix, right? Right. You're going to mask the symptoms. Same with chest pain. Don't do that. I mean, I would tell most people not to take narcotics because they're going to mask whatever's going on. Just to, to kind of wrap up this whole um, interview, maybe we could discuss some ways that people can actually help themselves not to go to emergency. <laughs> So I will I will kick it off with well you know peritoneal dialysis you got to keep the sterile technique as much as possible don't don't you know uh, skimp here or there or oh I touched that oh it's going to be okay um, that's one way to prevent going to an emergency room if you if you don't skip any uh, uh, universal precautions and the techniques of PD so well, I don't start have off. your friends or, or your pets in your bed you know and make sure you don't change your PD fluid in the garden or, in, you know, in the public bathroom, you know, things like that. I mean, there's lots of things that people do that are just absolutely outrageous. No, I know. I've, I've heard some of them. I'm like... And, you know, you just have to follow the rules. If you want to prevent peritonitis, you follow the rules. So to prevent infection and just catching a bad flu or cold, I mean, washing your hands and not 
trying to, you know, accommodate somebody who's really, really sick. That's one way because we have a low immune system. Right. Also, wearing a mask. If you, you know, you wear a mask so other people don't get it, but you choose to wear a mask around anyone who is coughing and sneezing at you. Right. Because you don't need to inhale those viruses because you're going to get it. Right. And you're going to be sicker than most. So wearing a mask, you know, in Japan, they're extremely smart. They all wear masks. They don't give it to others and they don't get it either. And I, you can get free masks from any dialysis unit you're in. Well, and what's so interesting is I um, was driving around Glendale the other day and I saw two Japanese people wearing a mask. That's right. <laughs> and they just don't have the same, you know, um, stigma that we do. Like I, I had to wear a mask after my transplant for several months, but I couldn't wait to get rid of it. Um, the other one is just, uh, you know, fluid overload. If you're short of breath, you really need to manage your fluid or talk to, fluid. you know. Let's talk about that for a minute. This is really important. People think it's fluid that's not. It's salt. If you don't eat salt, you won't be thirsty. And this like in true. our weather, when we had 100 today, they had a couple of days ago, when you're thirsty, you should drink water. But if you don't eat salt, you're not going to be thirsty. So people have got to regulate their sodium intake. And I... <laughs> key we've had for years is talk, tell the dietitian, don't talk to the patient unless they're the people buying the food and the people cooking the food. Because this, it's not going to help, right? Right. It's I impossible. I am an opportunist, okay? I call it seafood. I eat it because I see it, right? <laughs> yes. So no matter what naughty stuff you put in front of my face, and I'm hungry, I'm going to eat it. So the family has to, you put the whole bloody family on a diet sometimes. That's the problem. You know that. Mm-hmm. And you have to educate the grocery buyer, and the cook. Well, and I remember, and I think we had the discussion, but Dr. Scribner, who was the grandfather of dialysis, said, you know, it's impossible to control your fluid if you don't control your sodium. It's impossible because you're going to, what are you going to do, die of thirst? Right. It's crazy. And not only that, you're going to get hypernatremic, and that's going to make you, your brain function lower. So it's got nothing to do with fluid unless you're talking about chicken broth. The only thing we ingest as fluid that has salt is chicken broth or canned soups, things like that. Everything else, even Gatorade, has very little sodium. Lots of potassium, though. So we eat salt, we drink water. Right. And that's what we got to do is make sure we aren't ingesting sodium content that is hidden. Like, you know, that they are injecting chicken and chicken meat with salt now, injecting it right before you get it so that it's it fresher and looks better. As a preservative. I mean, As a preservative. It's... So you've got to read packages. Anything frozen or preserved will have so, tons of salt in it. Anything canned will have tons of salt in it. So, you know, the only way you can avoid salt is to have fresh fruits and vegetables that are on your diet, and you've got to talk to your grocer and see if they actually process that meat with salt or if it's truly fresh. I know that's what makes it tasty, and that's why uh, some of the frozen turkeys look so pretty when they come out of the oven. Yeah, of course, and you know, and people have to understand. No, you don't go out to eat at restaurants very often because you're going to get into trouble. And if you do, make sure that it's not on Friday night. And your next dialysis is Monday because you'll end up in the ER. Right, that's three day weekend. You can't ever go out. Right, you just but have, you to, have plan to eat it. small portions. And also, the other thing people forget is small amounts of potassium, sodium, or whatever. Three times a day is much less lethal than one large meal with the sodium or the potassium. Because you don't get the overload as much. You're less likely to get overloaded. Well, one of my friends gave a suggestion when she goes out, you know, because they give you the water glass. She actually puts her napkin on top of it because they'll come by and just add water to it. Well, the other thing people should know is you drink about a third of a cup of water whenever you're thirsty. 
because like when it's 100 degrees out, you're going to need more water. When it's 40, 50 degrees out and you're wearing all kinds of clothes, you're going to need much less water. So let, let thirst dictate, but make it not a whole bottle like I do. I drink my whole bottle. You drink a third of a cup. You can also do ice chips, sugar-free gum. Frozen grapes. <laughs> yep, all kinds of possibilities that you can do if you feel a bit thirsty that will limit that water intake. And when I say water, people say, well, I drink tea and coffee. Well, that's water, too. Everything's water except chicken broth, and that's salt. So count everything as water. Well, yeah, watermelon, everything. I mean, you just, it doesn't matter. Yogurt, ice cream, anything is water at all. There's water in all of that. In all of that. Well, um, this has been very informative, Dr. Keptine. Um, I hope people will, you know, really think about how to be prepared for an emergency visit. We never want to have one. And I guess there's two last things I would like to say because I just forgot about it. But, you know, people are getting rid of their landlines. And, um, you know, they may not be aware if you get rid of your landline, um, if you call 911, they don't know where you are. Yep. And um, that's why we keep our landline. Yep. And one other thing I just learned recently, I have an iPhone. There's a little heart app on the iPhone, and you can click on it and put in all your medical information. And then um, I'm learning that some of the emergency uh, rooms know that if they click on my phone, they can't get to the password. There's a setting where they can get to my medical ID information. And it's really cool because it has all my doctors and, you know, it's like two different steps and they can only get to that but nothing else on my phone. And so there's all these different tools that can allow us to communicate. I'm not somebody who likes to wear a medical ID bracelet, um, but I'm glad that I have, you know, this app on my iPhone. And it comes with standard with your iPhone and I'm sure the other phones probably have something like it. But um, we need to be prepared and communicate so that we can get out of an emergency and go live the life we were meant to live. And I think actually everybody should wear a medical ID bracelet. I, you know, I agree with you, but I, I just, you know, I, maybe I haven't found one that's cute enough or bedazzled enough. Well, the necklaces can be under your shirt. Uh, this is true. So maybe I'll consider that. But in the meantime, I have my iPhone, I know, which is bejeweled. What if somebody, you drop that, you know what I'm saying? Most of the time, when I, you know, when I had a, med- a serious had medical illness, I always wore my medical ID. Good advice. Because, you know, I, as you know, I had the myasthenia gravis. One day I went to the drugstore. I was looking for a birthday card from my mother. I got to the back, and all of a sudden, uh-oh, jelly legs. Couldn't stand up, couldn't talk, and I couldn't open my eyes. Wow. You know, this is serious stuff. And they were able to get the medical ID and well, help? Well, I actually had my purse and things with me, and I always carry my husband's phone number. So they called him, and, you know, everything was fine. But it was very sudden, and it, it can happen to any of the people. I mean, anyone in the world, but it can particularly happen to people on dialysis and transplant. They can pass out. Your blood sugar can be 20 if you have diabetes, and you can pass out. So you right. need that information, and your medical ID also gives them a lot of uh, information if you call that number on your medical alert necklace if you don't like a bracelet. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Captain. This is great information, and... Uh Um, hopefully I'll never have to uh, visit another emergency room but in the meantime I will be be prepared we should all be prepared thanks for listening to Kidney Talk a program of Renal Support Network please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only 
It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition.